This is Paradoxical, the podcast about the psychology behind big success in small business. I'm your host, Steve McCready, and today my guest is Lissy Alden of Mindy. So Lissy and I actually met at a, a retreat last summer. No, was, yeah, last summer now. Connected there and, and had a um, good conversation. And so as I was getting the, the podcast going again, I was like, oh, wait a second. I need to reach out. And she kindly agreed to come on. So what is Mindy? Mindy is a mental fitness company. For those who don't know what mental fitness is, mental fitness is the proactive practice of doing little small exercises on a regular basis to strengthen your mind, or as we like to say, to improve the rhythm of your life so that you can spend a little less time in those lows and a little more time in those highs. I like that, that the rhythm of your life. So dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. So um, a lot of people ask if mental fitness is mental wellness. And we always say, yeah, it's another way to say the practice of mental wellness. So in the same way you go to the gym to work out your body, you can work out your mind. And it's really about all of these little small steps that you can take. And so that for many people translates in, well, so are you a happiness company? Do you help people feel happier every day? And one of my favorite writers, his name is Mark Manson. He wrote a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving... Uh, I'll let you fill in the blank here. Fuck? Yeah, it's yes, okay. We, okay. We swear, we swear <laughs> here when we need to. But we swear at Mindy too. It can be a really powerful tool for emotional release and also explanation. Um, so he wrote this book and he says, our job isn't to get better at feeling good. It's actually to get better at feeling bad. And so here at Mindy, we help give you exercises, not only to optimize and recognize the good things in your life by creating more positive thought patterns day to day. But we also help you move through difficult times, not so that you skip over them. It's actually quite unhealthy for the body and the mind. But so that, again, you can get better at moving through those moments faster and with a little bit more certainty and control. I love that so much. There's so many places where we see this this kind of toxic positivity, right? That as if we're supposed to never be unhappy or there's some some way that we can do this whole no bad days thing, which it is just not true and realistic. And there's even value in some of the negative feelings. So that idea of get better at feeling bad, like that's that's really cool. So I love that. So give us the origin story of how you got from like what you were doing before and how the idea of Mindy came into being and how you got to the point of deciding to actually bring Mindy to life. Mindy has been, in many ways, the evolution of a question that I've been following over the last 10 years. So I've always wanted to help people. And I thought the best way to do that was to start a nonprofit. And I thought the best way to do that was to learn how to run one. And so I went and worked in the banking world and found that a lot of people were very unhappy in finance. And when I started talking to my friends who were also working in front of computers day after day, a lot of them weren't feeling so great either. And so I thought, huh, how do you actually build a company where people feel good? And so I went to a startup that grew very quickly over time. And what I found in working with organizations through that company and also as a manager myself was it was really hard to create a workplace that felt good day to day. And so I ended up applying to grad school because what I found was that all the companies I was speaking to, because I was looking for new jobs at the time, were really struggling with their employees. They were like, we've never spent more money on our employees, but employees have never been less happy. On the other hand, a lot of employees I spoke to were really stressed. And so I ended up going to MIT to build what I call a quantitative research-backed model for company culture change. And what that actually meant was that a lot of people had great ways to describe company culture. So I want it to be innovative. I want it, you know, a company of you know, integrity. I want a company of learning. But then my question was, how do you actually create a company that feels like that? Not just in words, but the way employees describe it. And let me be really real. I was one of those employees. I was looking to feel like I was working somewhere more innovative, more happy, with more integrity. And so I went to MIT. I built this framework. I did research for two years while I was getting my MBA. And I worked with a professor there who's fantastic. And what I found was I brought this to a publicly traded biotech, to a food company. We improved the company culture across the board at this biotech. I ran 150 projects over two years. Great company to work for now. But, and I'm using that word very specifically, Employees were still stressed all the time. I was still stressed all the time. And so I'm like, if the system's better and working and beautiful, why is everyone still stressed? And so I thought, uh-oh, what if I'm solving the wrong problem and I'm trying to solve the system as an issue, but what if it actually the answer sits with the individual? And so 
I then started Mindy. Now, I always say my clients needed this at all the companies I worked with. I've worked with a couple hundred companies over the last 10 years, but I also did too. My 20s were a total roller coaster. I went through plenty of periods of what we call episodic depression. One of my favorite facts in founding this company and doing the research is that Martin Seligman, the founder of Positive Psychology, believes that over 90% of all cases of diagnosed depression are episodic. That means you're going through an episode of depressed feeling, thought, or action for longer than two weeks. And so as I was moving through these very deep lows that stayed low, and I was also trying to just feel less fucking stressed all the time. I was reading self-help books. I was entering myself into running races. I was really looking for this like answer to like, how do I feel better day to day when I know that objectively the things in my life are the right things at a high level, but I just couldn't seem to solve the day-to-day moments in therapy or, you know, in my running races or in these goals I was setting for myself. I even worked with a coach. So Mindy was, in addition to this like big work set of questions I was trying to answer, on a personal level, I have desperately needed this, honestly, for my whole life. So say a little bit more about how Mindy and what Mindy is is different from, say, therapy or coaching or other sorts of things that are out there. How would you differentiate them? So first off, I love all of these tools. I always say therapy is amazing, amazing, and it has helped me process so much of what I've gone through in my life. I work with Coach Now, who I absolutely adore. How we talk about Mindy is really, I'm going to step back and talk about the mental health space more fully. A lot of times we talk about mental health like it's this big bucket that we all fully understand what we mean when we say it. So it's kind of like talking about physical health. Are you healthy? I'm healthy. But it's not that helpful. And I believe in like granularity and definitional granularity. And so mental health to us here at Mindy is really about the separation of health and wellness. So back in 1948, the World Health Organization talks about this idea is like health is more than just the absence of disease. It's actually about the development of thriving as well. But over time, a lot of folks have talked about this idea of wellness, which is the proactive activities that you can do every day to promote thriving. I always say with health in your body, you might have a sprained ankle, but you could still be very healthy otherwise. So you might be managing your wellness while at the same time dealing with a health issue. Mental health is very similar. Here at Mindy, we are not health mental health professionals. Those are therapists, even some coaches and doctors. I always say physical therapists, I always say is the equivalent of coaches, right? The people who are helping you get stronger every single day in between those big health issues. But here at Mindy, we're really on the wellness side and what we call long-term behavior change. So we sit in between those therapy sessions and in between those coaching sessions to hold you accountable to the wellness behaviors and also these small exercises you do that promote the right mental patterns and also wellness patterns. They're going to help you day to day feel better. And so if therapy is meant for, as we say, mild mental sprains to something more severe, like depression, anxiety, bipolar, and coaching can be really meaningful if you're looking for a bespoke, on-the-spot, you know, wellness, training, accountability for your specific situation. Mindy is really about the day-to-day, again, behaviors and patterns you need to build every day into your life to feel better. As I'm thinking about this and my own history as a therapist and my work as a coach, it's really easy for me to spot this space where, especially thinking in the, in the therapy context, where this fills what is, I think, often a, a gap in therapy is that we can certainly do the the processing and, and all of that piece. And certainly there are times where we might teach somebody techniques or things, but this sounds like really taking that to another level of actually supporting and structuring active and ongoing practice of it. Would that be a fair way to describe it? That's exactly it. What we always say is that, again, fantastic therapists, fantastic coaches will give you many of these practices, but then you have to follow through throughout the week. And the entire fitness industry, well, so much of it isn't just about what we call inspiration. It's what we, it's about what we call perspiration, which is actually doing this work and doing small workouts. And so think about Mindy as truly a gym for your mind and that we help you set up these workouts for yourself. Again, we have a framework to do that. We also have celebration, which is support and accountability, which for many of us is just essential, right? We go to the gym because we have people watching us in fitness class so we don't sit down and start texting our friends. You know, we've got personal trainers for some folks who need a little bit more help one-to-one. And then um, we have results. So we actually track these behaviors day after day 
because I always joke your brain sits behind your mind or eyes and you forget it's there. So we want to help you remember it's there and to take care of it, uh, especially for folks who sit in front of a computer and their brain is, you know, their main asset at work. I'm kind of distracted now because as soon as you started comparing <laughs> the preparation and, and perspiration thing, I started to like imagine sweating brains and it's kind of a disturbing <laughs> image. Um, By the way, writing it down, we have a cartoonist we work with. So I'm going to oh, make sure we can get a sweaty brain for you, Steve. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I will look forward to, to seeing that. Tell me some about from a from the on the business standpoint of is this something that your clients are individuals? Are they companies? Both? Yeah. So um, our actual business model is B two B to C. So that means business to business to customer. Um, and right now our clients are both. So what we typically see is that we either have people who find us through referral who've been through our programs and then they want to bring us to their companies. Or we have someone who's at a company who tries it and then ends up sending this out to their employees. And we're B2B2C as opposed to traditional B2B, which would mean that we then sell to a company and a company will hand this program and licenses to their employees. Because we believe, just like the gym, just because your boss tells you to go work out because it's good for your health, doesn't mean you'll actually show up day to day. It's really hard work. And in an effort to have some skin in the game, we find that it's really important for us to only be working with people who are really willing to put their time and their money where their mouth is. And what we're seeing over and over again is that companies really want to help their employees, like truly with the best of intentions. You sit down with leadership, you sit down with HR, and everyone's saying the same thing, which is, it's not just important for employees to feel good for the business. It's actually just amazing to work with people who feel good day to day, right? That said... Every employee needs something a little different at any given time. And so the idea with Mindy is to be an offering for folks who are really ready to do the work, right? To have that sweaty brain happen up there and show up for 10 minutes a day with their trainer doing these like really quick exercises so that they can really feel a difference over time. So we always like to say in the same way, going to the gym isn't a lean back experience, meaning you don't get to be on your phone with your sunglasses on and whatever. You got to like get dressed. You got to put your phone away. You got to really show up. Mental fitness is the same and our programs are the same. And so again, companies advertise what we do. They encourage employees to spend their wellness, learning and development, employee experience money with us, but it's really up to the employee to do that. So give us some idea of what these programs look like and what, what sort of things they entail, how long they go on. What, what's the experience for someone who is participating in this of doing the work? So right now, our kind of keystone program is this two-week personal training program. And what we found is that the majority of members who come to Mindy are in a place where they've kind of tried a little bit of everything. They've done everything in the, you know, wellness and short-term relief bucket of buying candles and going on vacation. And then they download Headspace or one of these amazing meditation applications. They use it for a bit. They're still feeling stressed. Many of them actually do go to therapy. That really helps them, again, process pieces of their life. They do some exercises that matter. And then they come to Mindy because they're still stressed day to day. And so what we've built is this, this kind of very contained program where you get a human trainer who sets you up with a customized plan. And what this looks like is every day, you receive three texts from them. And in each of those three texts, we have a couple things happening. In two of them, we're working on your mindset every morning and every evening. And this is really about resetting your mental patterns. We can talk about that in a second, what those exercises look like. And the other text is about a goal you set around your energy. So again, we're working on mindset and energy. Fun fact, your brain takes up 2% of your body weight and 20% at minimum of the energy that you burn every single day. So I say that again, just because it matters. Your brain takes up 2% of your body weight, but at minimum 20% of the energy you burn every day. So when you're tired, it's really hard to think well. And what I mean by that is our brain uses these thinking shortcuts to reduce the amount of energy we burn. And these shortcuts take the form of things like our negativity bias. We focus on the things that are wrong. They believe this is because from an evolutionary perspective, we're really trying to stay alive. And so we got to pay attention to the things that are a threat to ourselves, to our bodies, to our egos, to our minds. The challenge with these shortcuts is if left uncontained, we can tell a really untrue story about our days, our weeks, our lives. And so mindset is important, but we can't quite do that unless you have enough energy to feel good. And so we have you, again, working on this three times a day. All of these goals equal a total of 10 minutes. 
every day. Within a week, we typically see people starting to feel better. And within two weeks, they really feel better. And so at the end of every week, you meet with your trainer for 15 minutes. We look at some metrics that you fill out a form for us to kind of calculate. And then by the end of two weeks, most people feel better. And if you want to continue, you can continue for another two weeks. Or we're in the process of building what we call our self-service power routine builder. So you can actually build these daily routines on your own. What we're finding is even when people do this on their own, community is really important. And so we have community sessions that you can meet with every week as you're working on your routine to connect, hold yourself accountable, get support, things like that. Say a little bit more about the value of community. Because the, the question in my head as you're talking about this, I'm like, is do you have an app? Do you have plans to develop an app? But that obviously that wouldn't be a community thing, at least not necessarily. So, so tell me more about that and how you see that having a beneficial impact for folks when they've got the community aspect. When I first started, the feedback I was getting from every single member was, I want community. Now, note, these weren't paying customers yet. These were folks who were telling me what they dreamed of when they dreamed of stress reduction. And what we found was that the majority of members who came to us initially were in the equivalent of COVID zone, which is basically, imagine with COVID, with physical fitness, many people were seated, sitting still, not moving very much for a couple of years. We were sitting in front of our computer. We were in our homes for various reasons. The challenge with that is that when you then went to go and work out your body, you probably had to start slower. If you were a marathon runner and not running outside, then you had to kind of slow yourself into it. Maybe you hopped on the elliptical, you were doing a mile, then you had to ease into this bigger exercise. But like a lot of people, if you haven't been to the gym for a while, actually work out on their own to get fit enough to then go and work out in a group of people. And we actually see the same thing for your mind. So when people are feeling exhausted, negative, self-judgmental, stressed, if they're in this place where they're coming to Mindy, step one was they really wanted one-to-one contact. That's why we have this personal training program as our very first product. When they're starting to feel a little better and they get that momentum, and I should say our personal training product is actually called the Momentum Program. Once they start to get momentum, people are really excited to work with other people because a lot of the work we're doing isn't diving into, like I said, these personal, very important processing moments. It's really about these little exercises we're doing every day. And I say little very intentionally. They're small, they're short, but meaningful. And so now people want community. And so the idea here is that we right now, everything's delivered via text to our members. They love that. And they're working with their trainers. But the way we see community is a little like we will have the option to live in the application if that's how people and members request us to do this. And we everything we build is based on feedback. But we actually see community looking like live classes. So we call them morning mindsets and evening mindsets. You can log in every morning and evening with a group of people so that you can work out your mind for between 10 and 15 minutes. If you want to stay longer and actually have discussion about the work that we did, you can do that. But what we're finding is this live connection where people aren't, I like to say, in community, but of community. People love that. So let me explain that. In fitness classes, most people don't go there so they can chit chat with their neighbor and downward dog in a yoga class. So they're not necessarily in it, they're of it, they're watching it, it's important for them to kind of feel connected, but they don't necessarily need to be embedded. And we see the same thing with mental fitness. So people want to chit chat with others, they want to know that other people are doing the work, it's inspiring to them, holds them accountable, they learn from others. But there's less of this need to spend a lot of time with others. It's more of knowing other people are with you as you're doing this work. So it's giving, again, the sense of community, the awareness that you're not alone, that there's others here, there's something that feels empowering or powerful for folks about having that. Clearly, because what you're telling me is this is something that's really being driven by the feedback that you're getting. Exactly. And so we always say you got to go in to go out. Sometimes what groups can do and community can do is it helps you sometimes when you're struggling to go in, you can almost go out to go in, meaning you learn from other people, you get inspired, you get you know, some energy from others, and then you can do the work. So is this a thing that's like, is it on Zoom? I'm imagining like this huge group of people on a, on a Zoom call kind of doing their, their mental fitness exercises together or how, do, how does it look? So right now, the way we've been testing this is over Zoom. We allow you to keep your camera on or not. Some people love that, some people don't. And you're being led by a fitness instructor, mental fitness instructor. And so we're, again, guiding you through 15 minutes of exercise and then you can either choose to stay on and share and hear other people's responses and, you know, feelings and how their week went um, according to what exercises we've done that day. 
or you can pop off after 15 minutes and kind of keep living your life. I'm curious about the other piece of this, you know, as you've been building this, I'm sure there have been, even for someone like you who I'll say knows how to think about these things, how to respond to these challenges, but I'm sure there have been difficulties along the way. I'm curious to one, hear about some of those and, and what that's looked like, but two, what your process of coping with those things, working through those things, kind of sorting out what's gone on in your head around that has been to get you to this point. So two parts, the first one challenges, and then the second are kind of how do I deal with those challenges? First thing is, there's so many challenges with building this stuff. And just to like, you know, I feel like that's like the platitude. It's like, it's so hard. It really is. I think the first thing is building a company is seeing something that a lot of people don't see and seeing is believing. And so there's a period of time when you share things. And what I found was that, especially in early days, I would kind of share this idea before it was a mental fitness company, before it was Mindy, before we had these programs, before it was clear that we sat in between all of these offerings. And because people couldn't put this program, this product in an exact bucket, neither could I. It's just a lot of really, really specific questions that I couldn't answer, which were both like uh, frustrating for me because I wanted to find the answer for these folks and also myself. But two, there was like this feeling of like isolation. And I think when founders talk about being lonely and specifically when I've talked about feelings of being lonely, I have amazing friends and family. I have found different forms of community throughout. I mean, every six months, I feel like I've had a different kind of group and way to connect with people because my needs have changed for that. But being a solo founder is so lonely because of that beginning stage. But then also until people can touch and feel your product, sometimes you feel a little crazy. So that that's challenging. And so finding pockets of people who can understand you and see you where you are, which doesn't mean you have it all figured out or that, you know, I smile like, you know, my hair is like super frizzy sometimes and you just look tired because you are, you know, like these kinds of things. Having people who can see you and so you don't feel so lonely is really important. I think the second piece is there's always things to do. There is never a time. I have to imagine it's what being a parent is like. I hope to be a parent someday. But I was watching my brother's kids a couple of weeks ago and it's like the to-do list is actually never ending with three children around. And I like wrote myself a list and there just kept, kept being more things I needed to do. And building a company feels like that where you can always be doing more and you're not ever sure if you're in the right place. And so, yeah, feeling like you're capturing progress, even the invisible progress in yourself and what you've learned um, is freaking hard to feel you know, like at the end of every week, you're, you're where you want to be. And then I think lastly, like there's, I mean, there's a thousand more, obviously I could mention is every time you get good at something, the world gives you a completely new set of things that just bust open your self-confidence and your understanding of like how to do this company. So like, you know, I got a really clear understanding of this framework that I built. And then the feedback I got for my classes was like, great, help us practice this stuff. And I was like, oh, so I started building product tests and it was like, great, now you need to raise money. Oh my, how do, how do you do that? And then it was, now you need to build tech. I'm a non-technical founder. And so, yeah, so having those learning curves continually show up. That's something I want to want to interrupt and, and ask you about because you hit such an important point is, as you've said, it's like you, you get one thing done and then there's, here's this new thing. And oh, here's another place where you don't know anything. And how have you been able to not get caught in that space, right? Of like, not knowing. Um, but instead, and what have you done instead of that, right? What's What's been your way of navigating that challenge specifically? Yeah, I, um, I'm, I have a huge smile on my face. People don't see this. This is literally why I built this company. So the class that I originally built that was kind of like the MVP framework for this whole thing was on the science behind confidence as a concept. And confidence, as I understood it forever, was kind of like self-worth, self-awesomeness. It was this belief that you could like do anything no matter what. And my big kind of research question was, what is confidence and how do you make sure you don't lose it when the wind blows, when bad things happen, when challenges show up? And what I learned when I built this first class that was just two hours in an evening was confidence as defined by psychological principles isn't self-worth and awesomeness. It's actually belief in your ability to do a task. And that just like blew my mind whole 
I'll say that again. It's, it's confidence is a belief in your ability to do a task, not to do it well, not con- to control the outcome, but to actually show up to it. And the more I started doing research on this concept, I was like, oh my gosh, there are all these ways that you can build confidence. And in Mind D, this is the first mental muscle that we talk about, which is confidence. Confidence, there's four ways to grow it, we say. One is go watch other people. So get help. Watch other entrepreneurs in my case. Go find other founders, female founders, people who are at my stage, maybe a stage above me or ahead of me who've either raised money or built tech and go talk to them. The second is role play, practice. Understanding that practice is a huge piece of this and creating safe spaces, not just for myself, but making sure I surround myself with people who make me feel safe and don't make me feel stupid, silly, alone in these moments are really important. The third thing is have other people pump you up, literally cheerleaders. And the fourth is warming up your emotions and or your body through ritual, visualization, all these kinds of things. And so I joke, like when I found this and I started building this framework, I was like, oh my gosh, athletes do this every day. Basketball players go watch other other tapes and tapes of themselves all the time. They show up to practice 90% of the time. They have other people, including their teammates, pumping them up, slapping high five. They have, you know, their game songs and they warm up their emotion and their body through rituals. And again, jerseys and numbers and all this kind of stuff. For me, I have come up with my own form of ritual around building confidence in these moments where I feel low as shit. And so a big part of that, I actually don't start with going and watching other people. A lot of times I'll go and meet the people who are in that having other people pump me up bucket. So I've got my brother, I've got a coach. I go in and out of therapy depending on what I'm processing exactly. I've got a group of entrepreneurs I meet with on a semi-regular basis. And then I have an entrepreneur friend who's at the exact same stage as me I meet with every Monday. So that's where I start. And then I go through all these different categories of work. And again, knowing that the first time I show up is always going to feel tough. And then again, getting a hug, like a literal emotional hug, whether it's from a friend or cheese, which is my favorite food and treat food is really important. What's your favorite kind of cheese? Gruyere. Although I just had some string cheese, strong cheese, you know, the kind we see as kids that literally, you know, strings it up. Uh, and that was totally divine and hit the spot this afternoon. Excellent. So one, one question I have in relation to all of this, I, I think I know probably what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to just ask the question. Like I'm thinking about this with like these athletes as an example that you gave, you know, watching tapes of other players. And depending on where you are, at least for me, where you are with the confidence, this is one of the reasons why, for example, social media is so problematic. Because what we go is we go and we see, now I realize those are artificial representations, right? It's like watching a highlight reel instead of a tape. Fine. But my point is, you see these things and you see these people performing who are doing great things, however they're, they're doing them. How does one not then go and get caught in the like, oh my God, I could never do that. Or wow, I'm not as good as them. Or how does one not get caught in that loop? Because you've clearly had to do a lot of breakthroughs to get here. And I can imagine that is a piece that could have taken you out of this any number of times along the way. Absolutely. So now you're getting into the entire Mindy model. Congratulations. I will not speak for the next, you know, three hours to you about each piece of this. But Couple things. So first off is I could not agree more with social media. I actually have gotten, I was on in grad school, but for the last 10 years, besides grad school, I was off, um, specifically because of what you just mentioned. I'm a coach. So I'm constantly seeing the private life of my friends, my family, everyone comes to me in addition to my paying clients. And I just kept finding that the representation that we share publicly is so not aligned with what typically happens in our day to day. And so for me, when I am feeling at my lowest, truly meaningfully deeply, I mean, my only social media is LinkedIn. Such a nerd over here, forgive me. I just don't even spend time on LinkedIn. I don't go to entrepreneurial events, not because I'm avoiding the joy, but because when I know I'm at a really gentle, fragile place, I want to make sure I'm surrounding myself in these places with information that match my energy and where I'm at or kind of are slightly above me and give me what I need as opposed to this kind of in your face or you here yet, did you do this yet? Why not? And that level of self-awareness was like the first step to really, really being able to get to a place where I could be like, okay, now I'm in a place where I can manage myself. So if confidence is belief in your ability to do a task and you show up to that task or that thing, and then all of a sudden it's not going well, or you're not feeling quite well, this is the next step in the Mindy model, which is optimism. Optimism, there's two kinds, dispositional optimism, which is kind of who you are, right? How you show up day to day 
part of that's experiences, part of that's genetics, part of that's choice. But Martin Seligman, he's our star apparently of today, talks about learned optimism or the explanatory style of optimism, which is how we explain things in our head when things go right versus when things go wrong. And the story we tell ourselves, this is a Brene Brownism, is typically a shitty first draft looks like I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. I shouldn't do this. Or you mentioned like, you know, I can't do this. This is too much for me. Now that is one truth, one version of the story. And what Martin Seligman says is basically this idea that like when good things happen, optimists train themselves to see them as permanent and personal, permanent and personal. So I did it and it will be here forever. Pessimists are like, I got lucky and it's temporary. As an entrepreneur, I take credit for everything but a decline in sales. No, I'm just kidding. That's my dad's line. We always joke. So I take the idea is to take credit for the good stuff. And that is a constant piece of work. And we have four scientifically backed ways to build optimism. I won't talk about what those are, but a big piece of that is around telling the right kinds of stories. In my case, it's what are my wins today? What are my wins tomorrow? You better believe my, my brain's already clocked my losses, right? The things I haven't learned, the mess ups, all of that. But these constant practices around training my thought patterns to find the wins every single day are so essential to me balancing, again, this story that I tell myself as an entrepreneur between the things I didn't do. Yes, there's six things on my to-do list to my right that I did not get done on a Friday and all the things I did. There was about another 20 things that I knocked off my list earlier this week. Are you familiar with Daniel Siegel's model around or what he says about the brain and positive versus negative experiences? Tell me, tell me. Okay, so this will tie in. The way he says it, he goes, the brain is Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. And what you're saying is we have to build these practices, which is the same thing he says, just in a very different form. We have to build these practices to bring conscious awareness to the positive ones, because otherwise we will lose them versus the negative ones, which will just stick on their own. We don't need to give them extra attention. They're already there. That's a survival thing that can ultimately actually hinder our thriving, ironically. Absolutely. That's exactly what we're saying. You do have to do work to allow these positive experiences to be seen. One of my favorite studies that was way too long, but amazing. They say bad is stronger than good. Psychologically speaking, very rarely do our brains remember the good over the bad without an outnumbered amount of good happening and being reinforced. You know, there's that stat, you need five to 10 pieces of positive feedback for every critical piece of feedback. Right. The, the other part here that ties into all of this that validates it further is Gottman's work on relationships and that happy couples have a very similar ratio of positive to negative interactions. And it's like all of this goes to this same idea that we need help holding on to and reinforcing the positive stuff, not the negative. It's there, but we really need to hold on to that positive stuff. And I'm imagining the other part I'm imagining here and thinking about this is this is also a space where the cheerleaders become so important because when we can't see it, when we lose sight of it, when we're not willing to look at it, they're the ones who can be there on the sideline, you know, cheering um, in whatever form or really, really helping us to get back connected with it. Same for coaches um, as, as another example. Absolutely. And I think what I always am really clear with folks about and I want to say here is that this is not a toxic positivity podcast <laughs> or moment. This is hard. Like I joke that we're so positive with kids. They don't tie their shoe. No one's ever saying, damn it, Tommy, you didn't tie your shoe. It's, hey, keep going. Try it again. Loop, swoop, pull it. It's this constant positive reinforcement so that we can continue to learn and continue to show up to the game of life. As adults, we turn 18 and all of a sudden, not only does our mental story change about how we talk to ourselves, but the story that we get from other people also changes. And so the discomfort around talking about the wins of the week, the highlight, the gratitude, the whole thing. I said, it's like doing a squat at the gym. It's uncomfortable because if you are not used to doing this on a regular basis, it can feel unnatural. And that doesn't mean you're not supposed to do it. It actually means you may be getting stronger. Right. So learning to, it's another thing where learning how to look at discomfort in a little bit of a more nuanced light and that there are these things here that have discomfort to them um, that in this case are just a byproduct more of growth and newness versus a byproduct. I tend to differentiate discomfort versus pain is the way I tend to separate them. But yeah, the discomfort is, is, is it inevitably accompanies growth, I would say. Absolutely. 
And I think, you know, this just brings up this thought for me that our, you know, they say our words determine our reality, the words we choose. And so a lot of times in startup land and tech world, everyone's like, fail. And to me, it's like, it feels inauthentic, those words, because if you're failing, it, there's like an inherently negative association with that. And to me, like the big thing I talk about with my team every week is in addition to our wins, it's like, what did we learn? And we always smile because like, it's the what did we learn smile because we bumped into a wall and fell over. <laughs> we messed something up, you know, something didn't go well. Um, and this happens, I would say about 46 times a week. And so if every time it was a fail, 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 that's kind of demoralizing. They're not failures. They're actually these moments where we get to pick ourselves up and keep going. And that's like really like we don't use that word. We use the word learn because every time we mess up, there's like something there that we can grab and and make sure we don't do it again. So it's really about finding the learning in that experience. I'll just refer to it in a really general term as an experience. There is a way one could choose to see it as negative and could focus on that piece of it. There may even be a negative element to it, but there's, you're saying this is the whole like, where's the opportunity and making sure that that's, that's there. And I think, yeah, this is one of those spots where it's really easy to veer into toxic positivity land if it comes at the cost of acknowledging that the, whatever the obstacle, the problem, the stumble doesn't feel good. It's not fun. And there may even be problems with it. But it's it's not either or. That's the thing I, I like to say on this stuff is it's not either or. But we, where we like black and white and simple and easy, it's very, you know, it doesn't take a lot of energy for the brain. It's like good, bad, cool, simple, where it's like <laughs> there's this nuance of it's actually both. There's this element of it that's good and there's this other element that's not so great. That's that's more work, but it actually is also where all the power lies. But again, coming back to our brain's focus on negativity, we don't need to highlight that. That's there we need to actually highlight or actually consciously bring attention to the positive. And that's what I think you're talking about. Absolutely. Love it. And that's where when you're tired, exhausted, it is hard to burn more energy by taking two ideas and holding them at the same time. This is hard and I'm learning. And so that's where making sure you keep your energy up, taking care of all those pieces is is really important. Tell me a little bit, projecting forward for you, what is your big long-term vision for Mindy and what you would like to see it become and and do? Like, what's what's your vision here? There's a couple answers to this. There's a couple things I'd like us to do. The first is a lot of people talk about this idea that like mental health is now ubiquitous, mental wellness is ubiquitous, and we're like, it's crowded and it's good. I don't actually think that that's the case. I think we're at the forefront of the conversation and solutions and all of these kinds of things. And so One of my goals is to create a world where people are late to brunch because they're working on their mind. That's hilarious. I mean, it's like, I I see why you're, why you're saying it, but I'm like, okay, that's that. I love that. That's such like vivid imagery in it. And such, it's like, it total, it's a total like brain interrupt. My brain just went like, what? Oh, okay. (laughs) Exactly. And people talk about destigmatizing this stuff. Why don't we just make it something you do and something you talk about? And What's really, really cool is this idea that if we can build this brand into something that people are excited to wear sweatshirts for, and they are, we've got bracelets, we've got swag, we've got all the stuff we sell. Um, and I joke, people want to buy wellness. I joke, we're trying to create more of a world where you, you get this stuff as you practice it, right? But we want to create a world where this is just what you do. You go to the gym, you grocery shop, you take care of your loved ones, right? You spend some time on you and you work on your mind. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that we would love to be the template for mental, other mental fitness companies to help build an organization that helps people practice and holds them accountable to that practice. There is so much inspiration in this world. It is essential. I always joke, it's, it's, it is the sparkle that leads to all of it. And there's three ways to change your behavior in the long term. BJ Fogg talks about this. He's a, a tiny habits friend. He's amazing. And what he says is you basically have an epiphany, which is hard to control you change your environment, or you take small steps. And it is our job as a company, I see it, to create enough inspiration to get people excited, but also to work with folks like you, Steve, who are so incredible to get content like this out there, to make sure that people are reading, to make sure that people are getting inspired by athletes and other people and role models. And we want to be the gym. We want to be the place you go to do the unsexy kind of hard thing on a regular basis. And I hope that there's a lot of other companies that start to build these kinds of organizations so that we have all sorts of brands for all sorts of people. Because in the same way, not all gym brands 
excite me. Not all mental fitness gym gym brands are going to excite everybody else. So I think that's really cool. And I want to, from a business standpoint, I want to I want to talk on that for a second. Is you're actually actively inviting competition. You're like, I hope there's competition. I hope there are other people who do this. I hope there are people who take this idea and apply it in different ways. That strikes me as a different mindset than some people who operate from a place of, you know, trying to protect themselves and, and, and all of that. So tell me about that, that perspective and how you've built it. Yeah, I think first off is like now that the idea is more well established, I can be more open with it and I feel really excited about it. I think one of the things that's really interesting is when you realize that information is free, then the question becomes, well, what isn't? And and that's where like building this kind of business is really hard, like operationally making sure we can actually structure our trainer schedules and find the right people to match up with all of our members and all of that is really hard. And so, like I said, I, I need help doing the hard work because even the largest gym brands in the world would say that they probably wouldn't be able to service everybody all the time. The same way food brands would say that whenever. Two is that our brand, what we're building and what we stand for from an identity perspective isn't going to always align with everybody who wants to work on their mind. And so there should be a place where everyone can go. I want to be careful listing brands, but sometimes I go to yoga classes and I feel like, wow, you get me. I'm at home. And other classes, I'm like, whoa, people pay for this. And we're doing the same exercises, but it's the way you feel when you're there. And so everyone should be able to find a home here. And then lastly is I think, and, and let me be very clear. When I am exhausted at the end of the week or when I'm going through a particularly hard sprint or when it took me four months to find my you know first full-time hire after three years of building, I'm feeling tired. I'm in my lower brain. Dr. Bill Crawford talks about that. Your fight or flight or just like real stressed. It's hard to live here, but I work very hard to build this company from a place of love as opposed to a place of fear. And what that means is like, if I show up in my best self as a human, which sometimes doesn't look so pretty, right? We're all people. And I do all the things right. And I just put step by step every day. I don't look up at the mountaintop too many times. I kind of keep my eyes down and just keep going um, and work hard feeling good doing that. Like things will come together. And I believe that that's the case for other people too. And there is so much fear right now in the world and in this space. And so again, really trying to remember why I'm here, what I'm about and what we're here to do is like my centering kind of mantra. and allows me to say, like, let's do this, people. Let's change the world. And I literally can't do it. Our team can't do it by ourselves. I think there's this awareness of, one, there's a whole lot of people out there and you can't serve everyone. But two, I also hear a confidence that you're providing something that's valuable, that's good, that people appreciate. And, and at the same time, the, the awareness is, yeah, it's not for, it's not necessarily your flavor of it won't necessarily be for everyone. And that there is, is room for more than one. I think that is such an important mindset when we're building something because otherwise that that competition thing becomes such, it can be so threatening and distracting to us if we're not careful. We always say, mind you, your brain is a pattern maker and repeater and we have positive patterns and that's what a lot of these you know patterns we've been talking around about talking about your wins and everything are about creating them if you don't have as many of them. And these are the patterns that operate when we're at our best in our best relationships, when we're having a great day at work, when we're in flow. And then there's the negative patterns, which are things like people-pleasing, self-judgment, negativity. And this, one of my, you know, I have a lot of positive patterns. We can talk about it on another call. But one of my negative patterns, the thing that is persistent in my life is people-pleasing, which I joke is the Miss America one, right? For the most part, everyone else is happy with it, but you end up kind of depleting the tank because you are trying to please other people. And I do really feel like in this business, again, being clear about what I'm about, and what we're about and what we're building is so important and getting comfortable with the idea that this is not going to be for everybody. It's hard. And I just want to call that out because you said what's hard. This is hard. You know, like this need to kind of focus and get comfortable with it. And so most days I'm very comfortable with it. And then sometimes it's a little scary, right? Um, so yeah, I just want to, I just want to call that out because that's something also that comes up a lot. That's great. And you hit on something what you were talking about with the People pleasers can have such a hard time holding their course. And I think what I'm hearing for you, right, is, is that, yeah, that, that being willing to one recognize what you're doing is not going to be for everyone, doesn't have to be for everyone, is a way of giving you permission for yourself to kind of combat the people pleaser to be defined and specific. We're doing this, not that. We're going to do it this way, not that way. Versus, well, some people might want this or some people might want this or some people, and then you end up with vanilla ice cream. 
Yes. 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 And I'm not a vanilla ice cream person. I won't even eat it. I pass that stuff up. <laughs> See? Yeah, I, I, fig- I figured as much. <laughs> so, okay. So, so tell me like what's up next for Mindy? I know you've got some beta stuff going on, some things that are, that are kind of up here. So tell, tell us about that. Give us a preview of what's up. Yeah. So we are finalizing all of our beta tests for this personal training program. So in a couple of weeks, you'll be able to join us for as many weeks as you'd like. Um, all programs though are in two week increments, specifically because when people come to us, it's hard to swallow this idea that you need to work on your mind forever in order to feel better. And so we want to get you some momentum in two weeks. And that's, so that's what this is called the momentum program. So that's available in about two weeks. So I'm very, very excited to offer that to folks. Check us out at mindy.co, M-Y-N-D-Y.co. But in addition to that, we're starting to test out these group classes, which is really special, these live mindsets. So every morning you log in with us and every evening, if you're interested in testing with us, we'd love to have you. And then also what we call our self-service routine builder. So this is the idea that you can set up your own mental fitness routines using our platform. And we're in alpha for that. So we're just at the beginning of testing. Um, It's a very very exciting time. And then we'll be fundraising in the summer. Lots of stuff coming, lots of things in development, lots, lots of excitement. And then just from things you've said, it sounds like really clearly that for you, you really actively seek to get customer feedback and engagement. And then that becomes a big part of your process for refining what you do. Is that correct? That's right. I think something really interesting back to the like challenge was that when I was first building this thing, when I ask people what they want, they kind of ask for like content. And then I built content and they're like, I need more content. And it brought up this quote for me that, and again, content is incredible. And for so many people, I, I truly mean this, like Instagram is an incredible forum and, and Facebook and all these places of mental fitness exercises. And it really helps people. So I was like, do I need to really create that? And it reminded me of that quote, I think Henry Ford said, which is like, I, if you ask people what they want, they say a faster horse. Yeah. That one. And so one of the things I think a lot about is like, it was less about asking people exactly what they wanted and more about figuring it out by putting different things in front of them. And so the way we have built things is by making things that are kind of crappy and getting a ton of feedback and then using that as our first draft to then build towards not what exists or the language we have, but this really, really special two-week program that we offer. So yeah, customer feedback is everything to us. So as you're doing this stuff, you know, getting this beta ready to go, got these other things in alpha, tell me a little bit about some of the things that you're currently finding challenging that are maybe getting in the way or that you see as obstacles between where you are and that vision you have of us doing our mental fitness exercises and being late for brunch or just skipping brunch altogether. There are no obstacles. I'm no, just kidding. Steve has a smile. I'm going to wait for a second and be like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Tell me, say more about those lack of obstacles. There are so many obstacles. I think, I think there's like two, two things on my mind. There's always like the short term and the long term. In the short term, we have, you know, my, my day to day mantra I was saying, you know, is a lot about kind of like step by step. It's keep going, don't run out of cash. Not very sexy. I have other ones that I share, right? When I'm people pleasing, I'm doing my best to be my best. That's one of the ones that comes up for me and my brother. And I talk about that one a lot. We are in a very tough market right now and financial situation. I have always been very careful with cash, but there is a difference between being careful with cash so that you can make sure you prove the things you need for your next round versus I'm just trying to like save money because I'm afraid. And so we need to move fast because we now know what we're building while making sure that we are moving in the right direction so that we can prove out these key kind of hypotheses for our next fundraising round. And so what that means and where the key challenges lie, one is in making sure that we're being really good with our time, which means two, being really good with priorities. Notice I said priorities. That's actually like a joke. There's no such thing as priorities. There is a priority. It means one, which is nearly impossible to company our size. But at Mindy, one of our mental muscles is focus, the practice of intention. So being super intentional. And then three is making sure that we take care of our mental fitness while we're like in this sprint for the next five months. Because I'm 35, I smile like maybe if I was 24, I'd be, you know, running around. But we, if we want to be the kind of company that we need to be, which is good from the inside out, authentic from the inside out, we need to practice the things that we're helping other people practice. And doing that in this environment of 
move fast and break things. We can't break people's minds and we can only move so fast because we have to sleep and work out and take care of our bodies. While we're also existing within the system like is, is a real thing. So proving these hypotheses, intentionality, and then practicing mental fitness, these are like the three things that are in the short term big challenges that are always on my mind and that I'm thinking about daily. And is there one of those or any of those that you find yourself getting kind of stuck on or where you're running up against a man, I don't know what to do here or struggling to do it? Yeah, I think now things are going better. But like if I were to say there was one that was worth talking about specifically today, we'll talk about intentionality. So this idea that we have like five things that we need to prove. But in order to even prove those, there's about 16 things that are associated with each of those items. So the Eisenhower matrix, this urgent versus important thing comes up on a daily basis. And so that's something that I'm just thinking about regularly. So tell me about how your process looks and where you get stuck with it. Yeah. So I think it was funny because I got stuck last week and my chief of staff and I spent two hours. We like canceled the agenda and went through everything we're working on, everything we need to do, just like what I talked about. And then how we're mapping my time and her time against these things. It's us two full time and then we've got 10 contractors and another, you know, 20 people we work with. So a big piece of it is what are the priorities? How do we need to get them done? And then what's our time breakdown look like? And so that time breakdown, even this week, better this week to last week, but being really honest about where am I spending my time is I'd say like the specific piece that I'm working on. How do you find that you err, I guess, when doing that? Like where where does the problem arise? I think the problem arises as always uh, with a classic post-it that's overridden. I start my day with a post-it. I start adding things as calls go on. And then by the end of the day, you guys can't see this, but my post-it, which had five very big tasks, actually, they look small. I had them broken down in a different spreadsheet, turns into this, which is like a post-it with like, you know, about approximately a billion and three things on it. And and what's really interesting for me is as I've moved from this independent founder managing 35 contractors to a full-time manager, it means that a lot of times my to-do list is my team's to-do list. And so even like today was a great example of that. I'll take a deep breath and reconfigure, right? And I do that now two times throughout the day. I set my morning to-do list. I reconfigure in the afternoon in the evening, but it's this constant reset. And so I'm wondering if there's something else that I could be doing. How do you decide what actually gets to go on the list? It goes back to this list of priorities. We have we have yearly goals, quarterly goals, monthly goals. So I'm looking at these monthly goals that I personally have. And those are the things that I prioritize. You can imagine there's more than four things on that list. But I have the top three. And so if it's associated with the most important I do that first, and then the next important and next important. After that, it's urgency against importance, which is obviously cognitively expensive because I'm toggling between those two things. What about energetic cost for these things? How much does that get thought about as you're assessing what to do, not do, and what you can accomplish in a day? Uh, t- very top of mind. I joke that I'm an extrovert, no surprise. So Putting an extrovert into data and spreadsheets and building in Figma and I'm doing technical sprints with my engineering team is kind of like putting an introvert on stage all day. There is like an energetic cost, not only because a lot of these things aren't necessarily within my comfort zone, but because they're not within my, I think there's this term zone of genius people keep using or like, you know, my, my thinking talents. And so I am very aware of that, but I'm smiling, Steve, because even when you say that, I'm aware when I'm planning the beginning of my day. But as things start to go on my list, that level of awareness goes away. No surprise, because my energy dwindles. That's so interesting. Yeah, because I'm thoughtful at the beginning of the day, but not as the day goes on. Right. Well, I think there's a lot of things there. And of course, I think there's an irony in that, not an irony, but a challenge in that the as our energy wanes, our ability to assess things tends to decrease because we have less energy and tend to give less energy, especially if we are focused on all the things that we have going on. And that's, that's kind of where I was wondering, I was, and I have another, another thought related to this, but I was wondering like, is, is this a thing where what's happening is there's maybe not as much attunement to the energetic piece of it, both from the standpoint of, does this even get to go on the list? Is there room for it? 
but also in how one navigates the the kind of ongoing evolution of it, because this can get into a, a multitasking variant, right? Where you're kind of shifting around and whatnot. And so, you know, is there something that you need a gate where certain things just need to be blocked from getting in in the middle of the day unless they truly fall into urgent or it feels like there's some form of filter that might be lacking here because what I'm hearing and seeing and and by the way folks there's not like there's not quite as many things on our list as she said but there's a lot it's a lot more than three <laughs> and it's like it's a big list oh, yeah. and I, you know so seeing that, it's like, yeah, of course, that's this big list of stuff. Of course, it's not all going to get done. It's not all checked off. A bunch of it is. Um, she's had a more productive day than I have. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but um, figuring out like how do you manage that where that doesn't become its own sort of juggling is, is there. And so that's where I was like, you know, how does something get on there in the first place, at least in the middle of the day, is that this, it's like an ongoing triage, but, but in an ER, the doctors aren't doing the ongoing triage. There is a specific staff member, that's their job to do the triage, <laughs> right? And then the doctor's getting whoever the next patient is, but things are coming in, you're triaging them in the midst of doing this other stuff. And I suspect that's where some stuff is getting kind of messy. I freaking love that. Even just as a visual, you can picture a, a surgeon in the middle of surgery and someone being like, yo, Steve, we got another heart patient. And they're like, am I free at three? You know, you know, right. elbows deep in a patient. So yeah, no, I, I like, I 100% relate to that. I think the thing that popped up for me, I am sacred about my mornings because that's when I do such good thinking and I'm not about my evenings. And so this idea that I know that I need more time to do a lot of these things from an energetics perspective, but also because the day gets taken I forgot, and I, this isn't, I swear to everybody, this is like an actual aha. It's like, I'm precious about my mornings and in the afternoons I have meetings, but I'm still going to always have to do things in the afternoon and I do not leave enough time to do them. And so I wouldn't have to worry about triaging if I had this time to like take care of things, if that makes sense. Like it wouldn't feel energetically like this. Again, I held up my post-it. Um, yeah, if I, if I respected my evenings, and I say evenings, I, you know, I'm not working late into the night ever, but like, or rarely ever. But um, if I respect my evenings or end of day, like I do the beginning of my day. Super interesting. I think it's hard for a lot of people. I know that's true for, for myself as well, that the odds of me doing something that's in a structured or planned way at the end of my day is way lower than at the beginning, unless it involves someone else. So when it's a podcast interview, I've got scheduled in the afternoon, that'll happen because it's an appointment and there's someone else there and I don't want to, you know, blow off my commitment. But if it's this other thing that I think, oh, I'm going to, you know, I've learned, like if I plan some some task, like I'm going to do this at four o'clock, it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> because there's just any number of reasons your energy might be low or two, I could have had other things come up. So unless I'm really conscious and do a reset or other things, I've been able to structure my day so it's not a problem. But I don't have a task list that's as long as yours. Relatedly, the other thing that, that was on, on my mind around this is, again, more on the idea of filtering, is do you need some additional constraints on this, I guess would be the word I would use, to help keep things from getting in the door, right? Where it's like, nope, you've got to go, you know, someone comes into the ER with whatever it is, and you're like, no, you've got to go here. And they get redirected to an appropriate resource or, or what have you. And also related to that, there are things I find are always true in a growing company where there's almost inevitably, I've, I've never seen it where there's not a founder who is doing something that is actually not something they should be doing anymore, either because <laughs> their time's more valuable, because there's some other person who could do it. And it's often just because they haven't even really thought about that and really gone through and looked like, what am I doing here? that not only could be done by someone else, but should from the standpoint of your energy and the value of your energy being optimized about where it's applied. So I don't know if that will give you any ideas, but that's, I think, another space that's worth looking. Yeah, I think what's been so fun is having now full-time employees, like people really working with me. I've been taking a lot of things off my list. Everyone has full permission and does tell me when I'm working on things I shouldn't be, which I feel very lucky for. The constraints piece I love, I really love that. I do think there's something about I'm very clear on my values and like from a behavioral perspective, like what I will and not do and what I will and don't tolerate from myself and other people. Tolerate sounds really intense, but you know what I mean? It's Friday afternoon or evening. Um, 
But I do think that just like keeping these priorities top of mind, because I do also set weekly priorities. If you can't tell, I'm very structured. But having those weekly priorities like on my computer, like, is this the thing that needs to happen today? Yeah, that that really matters. And I think that that even just as like an environmental nudge during that tired afternoon would be really special. In addition to blocking time in the late afternoon evening. So it sounds like that gives you some things to to think about and to to play with here to to try and poke at that. Awesome. Uh, it really does. I have I have more things on my post-it note, but it's not my Friday night post-it note. It is my next week post-it note. Very clean. Excellent. For folks who want to learn more about you, about Mindy, about what's going on, about, you know, just how they can sign up, et cetera. Tell me about the the best path for them to follow. We'd love to have you join our newsletter, follow us on LinkedIn, or just check us out at mindy.co, M-Y-N-D-Y dot C-O. The company's called Mindy because it's my mind. Uh, We can also say things like, I want to remind you that you should visit our website. But truly, you and only you know know what you need to feel good. And so that's where that's where that name come from. And we're excited to hopefully meet you either in our newsletter on LinkedIn or in one of our programs. Yeah, because if you haven't noticed, Lissy knows this stuff pretty darn well. She's, she's I'm totally serious. It's like there's all these things that I, I would have thought to say, then you like said it before I, I did, which is which is great because it means again, like makes makes this one easier for me. Lissy, thanks so much for for coming on. And I'm I'm really grateful again for the chance to talk to you both because this is so good just from the standpoint of being able to dig into some of the mental and psychological elements that are so important for people, not just in life, but you know, business and life but also being able to have us see, you know, get a look at the the building up of Mindy and what you've been doing and kind of see both parts of it. It's a really great opportunity. So I'm, I'm so grateful for you to take the time to come share your knowledge and expertise and um, have the conversation. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for coaching. Truly, I'm pumped for my two very specific tactical tasks, which I can do very easily. And this has been truly so much fun. I trust that you'll send me an update on how it's going. Absolutely, I will.